uh, we, is ongoing in Europe right now, is important. Um, I, I would say it's very, very biblical. But I, I find the importance of what's being done there uh, physically to meet the needs of the people, uh, people who felt um, weak and lost and incapable of helping themselves, especially the elder couple that you saw. They, they're beyond the point of being able to care for themselves and having to evacuate their country. But the reason that I consider that compassion ministry so important is because it provides the opportunity to share the love of Christ beyond just the physical needs, uh, to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when people ask us why we're doing it, we actually, Joanne had one of our ladies in the, the home that we were uh, caring for, ask her, why are you doing this? And uh, we feel so helpless. We feel like we're taking advantage of you. And Joanne shared with her, no, you're not taking advantage of us. You didn't make this war. You didn't call for it. You, the, the threat that you're under was not your fault. Um, but we're doing this because of the love of Jesus Christ. And there are churches uh, all around the world, but particularly in our case, churches here in the United States that are making it possible for us to help you. We want to do that. So it gives us, the compassion ministry gives us the opportunity to share the love of Christ and show them how different he is from all of the rest of the world. Um, one of the last things I, I would mention is uh, about our ministry is that Joanne and I have been asked uh, several times when we might consider uh, retiring. And our first response is, I can't find that word in the Bible. I don't know where that is. Uh, it's not there. Um, and besides that, we usually tell people, well, what do you do when you're retired? And the normal answer is, well, you just do what you want to do. Well, that's what we are doing. We're doing exactly what we want to do. So why would we change it now? Um, and so our, our attitude is, of course, knowing, knowing our age, I mean, we are realists. We're not living in a fantasy land. We are getting a teeny bit older, and uh, different things could happen. There, there could be reasons why we wouldn't be able to return uh, to, to Eastern Europe. When we left Europe, we left out of the city of Bucharest, Romania, with round-trip tickets. So we did the first leg of the round trip and we're here in the States, but the second leg going back is scheduled for October 6th of this year in about three and a half months or less, two and a half months. Um, will we be able to go back? Only God knows the answer. Only God knows what Ukraine and Moldova and that section of the world is gonna look like. Uh, if you listen to the news, uh, there's so, so much spin out there Quite honestly, I don't know what to believe. And I, I can only say that God is the only one who really knows what's going to happen in the next few months and uh, whether we can return or not to, to uh, Eastern Europe. Even if we couldn't return to Eastern Europe, we have some fantastic opportunities. In Spain, uh, we're absolutely fluent in Spanish. We could return to Spain. We have good friends there that would love to have us come and help them in a church plant that they're doing in Alicante, right off the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, so there's opportunities that we could serve God in different places. So our attitude about um, retirement, we would say retirement is possible when service is not. In other words, if there comes a, a reason, something that would dictate that we wouldn't be able to 
to continue working in a foreign field, then that's when retirement happens. But until that time, whether it's health or geopolitical situations or finances or whatever the reasons might be, uh, until that time that God closes the door, our heart is to keep going and keep serving him. And we would love to be doing that when Jesus Christ returns to take the church to his to glory. So I would ask you to pray for us because just as you, uh, we are as uncertain about the future of our country, uh, of the world situation, there's so many factors. And um, so we are also just waiting on God to show us what he wants us to do. I want to share a passage of scripture with you this morning. Um, the text that, that I have is uh, taken out of the book of Psalms. If you have your scriptures, uh, I'm just going to read uh, a part of Psalm 72, verse 19. Um, it sounds like a simple passage of scripture, very easy to comprehend, but the depth of it is, uh, is amazing. The title of the message this morning is David's Dying Desire. And so David... It's written here in Psalm 72, verse 19. He said, and blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen. So, David is, is proclaiming here a wish that he has. And by the way, when I say David's dying wish, if you read verse 20, it says, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. David is, is, is praying right here and making supplication um, as his life is beginning to end. Now, before time and before, uh, or just immediately after creation, this prayer wouldn't have made any sense. Um, before Satan's rebellion, before the temptation in the garden, the entire universe and all of heaven, ev everything that existed was filled with God's glory. It, it wouldn't have been necessary to pray because it just was. Everything centered around the throne of God. Um, and so that prayer may not have been necessary at that particular time. Everything in existence worshipped him. The world was so perfect. The universe was so perfect. And those moments that it's doubtful that you and I could even conceive of the beauty and how beautiful it all was. How beautiful this planet was uh, in, in that time. But everything has changed. Um, all of us have recognized very well that we are living in a broken world. Um, there are so, so much, there is so much beauty right now. But we really do need to pray. We do need to pray that God, his glory, would fill the whole earth today. Now, even today, God is glorified here on planet Earth. We're glorifying God right now. As we absorb his word and as we worship him, we sing and we pray and, and uh, all that we are doing right this moment is a part of what brings glory to God. But, for example, the, the book of uh, Psalms, and if, if you would go with me to Psalms 148, this, this psalm is, is coming to the end of uh, the book of Psalms, of course. And uh, the whole earth is, is like a great orchestra giving praise to God. And that's what Psalms 148 is, is all about. 
But Psalms 148 reminds me of a, a classical piece of music that I love dearly. Now, some people would dispute whether it's really classical or not. I won't get into that argument, but I would just say Ravel's Bolero is one of my favorite pieces of classical. I call it classical music. Um, and Ravel's Bolero begins with one single instrument. There's a great big, huge symphony orchestra out there, but one instrument, I think it's the oboe, that starts out the song. So think about, how many of you know what I'm talking about when I say Ravel's Bolero? Have you ever heard it? Okay, several of you, okay. Listen to Psalms 148 and think about it. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. Praise him, you heavens, you heavens of heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded that, and they were created. And he also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all the depths, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all the hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all the people, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and heaven. And he has exalted the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints, of the children of Israel, of the people near to him. Praise the Lord. Psalms 48 reminds me of, of Ravel's Bolero in the sense that it starts out simply and then it just builds and builds and builds and builds as all of creation is rising to give glory to God just like Ravel's Bolero. And by the time it ends, your heart is just bursting with joy and so triumphant at, at the conclusion of Ravel's Bolero. It's just, it, it, it just, excuse me, it just impacts me when I think, but that's what Psalm 148 is like. It just builds up so that all creation, hills, wind, old men, young men, uh, the clouds, the moon, the sun, everything, praise God. And um, that's what David is praying for. That's what he's praying for. Um, the fact of it is, much of creation is praising God right now. But David intended this prayer in a different way than we're actually looking at it right now. Uh, when he's asking that the whole earth be filled with his glory, he's not thinking about God as a creator. He's thinking more of God as the moral governor, as the ruler of the universe. And um, it is just as, as the governor that, that we have revolted against God. He is our master, but we've rebelled against him. Um, I saw a shirt the other day that says, a t-shirt a young person had that said, no masters, um, I forget what the other part of it was, but the idea was, nobody can tell me what to do. And that's what this person is wearing around, declaring to everybody, he'll have no masters. That's, that's how we've rebelled against him. We've rebelled against him as our judge. I'm talking about mankind in general. So. David is repeating this wish here that all the world would be filled with his glory, that they would worship him and recognize him as the glorious God creator of the universe. 
And he desired that every idol temple would be removed. Everything that does not glorify God be destroyed, taken away. Um, that Christ in his person might be uh, glorified and loved by every heart of every human being on the planet. Um, I, I haven't kept track of the statistics. I, for years and years and years, I've always said, well, there's 7,000 people on the planet. Uh, 7 billion, I'm sorry, 7 billion. Now I keep hearing now and then 8 billion. I'm not sure if we hit 8 billion, whatever it is, 7 point whatever or 8 billion people, that every single person on the planet would actually fulfill this prayer that David is uh, talking about. Now, some people would say, Rich, that's pie in the sky. I, you know, that's not going to happen. Um, it, it'll, it'll never happen that we could see every single person on the planet, every single 8 billion people knowing God and worshiping Him. You would say, what kind of a dream is that? It's, it's like fairyland. That's not going to happen. Um, do you really think that Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Communism, all of the, these false religions of the world are going to just come down be eliminated, and we're all going to worship God. Do you really think that? Well, it's not. This prayer is not a foolish daydream. This prayer was actually written by the Holy Spirit of God. God doesn't say stuff just to exaggerate or, or to give us daydreams. This was written by the Spirit of God. So, David is saying, let the whole world and and we need to understand and we need to believe that these false beliefs, whatever they may be, are all going to fall one of these days. So it's, it's not a, a foolish daydream. David prayed this prayer and, and he was, um, it's his last best wish as he was getting to part this life and go back to his maker. And as I already mentioned, it says here in the very next verse, this is the end of his prayers. This is the end of it. So I, I want to consider what David is saying and what the implications are for us, um, this last wish of, of David, and consider what we can do, how our response should be uh, in this particular prayer of David. So we're just going to cover three questions this morning by God's grace. And the first one is this. What was David's passion? What was his passion? Well. In Psalm 72, it's a prayer uh, for David's son. Okay. Now, I know if I were to ask Blake what the name of David's son was that was going to be the king, he would be able to tell me. But I'm not going to put you on the spot. David's son was Solomon. He's praying for Solomon. His son is now going to step up into the throne and become the king. But David's not only praying for Solomon. David is not only praying for Israel. David is praying for the whole world. He's praying for countries he didn't even know existed. I'm quite certain David never knew about America. He never knew about Central America or South America. How would he have known that? But he's praying by the inspiration of the Spirit of God for the whole world so that not a single nation uh, is excluded. He's gone far beyond his own known world. Let the whole earth be filled 
with his glory. So David's praying for, and listen to this from Revelation 7. David's praying for the great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. That's what David is praying for. And that's exactly what John is talking about in Revelation chapter 7. Um, and by the way, Joanna and, I had, Joanna and I had the joy of being in several nations around the world. I know there's people that are far more traveled than we are, but we've had the experience to, uh, the joy of experiencing several different cultures. And um, I, I, it's created in me a hunger, a thirst for that moment when we are there in Revelation chapter 7, when we are in glory, and all of those nations, all of those cultures, all of those different foods, uh, I do like food, uh, we're all going to be there in glory. Um, when I went to Jamaica, I decided when we get to heaven, I want to sit in the Jamaican section when it comes to singing. Jamaicans really do a job. Um, yeah. So I would like to sit in the Jamaican section when we worship God because they have a great way of doing it. I understand the Zulus also do. I've never been to, uh, to where the Zulu tribe is in Africa. But anyway, all these people of different tongues and tribes and nations and languages, and we're all going to be there together. And that's what David is praying for. So he wants, he wants this to happen. There are millions and millions of people, like Buddhists, that are worshiping Brahma and three million of the Hindu gods. Um, we need to pray for them. Uh, Joanna and I had the joy of spending a year in India. We, we got a fairly good taste of the Indian culture and the need of that country. And had God not called us to go to uh, Central America, I think we'd still be in India. We were convinced that the work in India will go on until the return of Jesus Christ. We're never going to come to, well, we're not going to come to the place in this dispensation that all of India is going to be reached. There's just so much to do. So many languages. 1,600 different languages, by the way, in India. Only 16 of them are primary. Uh, there are millions of people who are following Muhammad, Islam, tremendous large religion, millions of people following Islam that need the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Catholics, Orthodox, in Eastern Europe we're, we're working with basically Orthodox, uh, Russian Orthodox people. Um, they are under the impression that they're Christians, but they have not really truly understood the gospel. They're trying to work their way to heaven. And uh, these people need to know Jesus Christ. They need to know him by grace alone, through Christ alone, by the scriptures alone, by faith alone. They need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and they're not there yet. Uh, we have nations like China, Russia, North Korea, Vietnam, Venezuela, uh, countries that have been or are under communist domination. These countries may deny God. They claim to be atheists and try to enforce people to uh, not worship God. They need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So David was not asking in his prayer, he was not asking for nominal Christianity. Some of you will remember 
the day that uh, the then President Obama stood up and told the world that the United States was no longer a Christian nation. And of course, those of us that are Christians were wounded by those words, but unfortunately he was right. Uh, the United States really cannot be considered <clears throat> a Christian nation. There's a lot of Christians here, and the church is strong, but uh, our country has, as, a, as a nation moved far away from the, the, the concepts and the principles which we were founded on. So the prayer of David encompasses a great, great vision. And we need to pray like this and actually mean it. Actually mean it. Not, not just say the words because somebody stood up in a pulpit and said we need to say those words. <laughs> but actually mean it. Lord, may the whole world be filled with your glory. And I mean it. I want to be a part of that. Um, well, how do you get David's passion? How do we get this desire that he had as he's ready to meet his maker and give his throne to his son? How do we do that? Um, during the last term, as a, we've already shared with you, Joanne and I were able to uh, minister in one of the places of the world that is war-torn and desperately in need, but it's not the only place. All around the globe, there are tremendous injustices being done. There are wars. There are Christians that are dying, even today, right now, in countries all around the world. So it's not the only place. And, and we were ministering to the most needy, the most vulnerable people of Ukraine, the women and the children. Most of, most of the refugees that are coming out are the women and the children and the most vulnerable. But again, it's not the only place. But it would be easy for us to think, well, as Christians, we're not going to be able to do much about what's going on. What, what, what can we do? How do we stop a war and the injustice going on in Ukraine or uh, the, 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 the persecution and death of Christians in, in Africa? or in Cambodia or in Malaysia and other places around the globe, China. How do, how do we do that? How do we fight against it? And we feel weak and helpless and incapable. We can't do it. That's what Satan is whispering in our ear. That's exactly what he wants us to think, that we can't do it. Well, truth of it is, we can't, but guess what? God alone is the majority. You just need one. All we need is God, and it's over with. So, yeah, we're, we're actually on the winning side, impossible as it may seem at this, very, at this very moment. Well, what do we need to do? We need to, first of all, contemplate the majesty of God, okay? Um, I was sharing just a little bit with, with Pastor and... and uh, Sarah and their children, uh, a little bit of our testimony, but be, before I came to know Jesus Christ, I considered myself to be an atheist. Even so, I would look into the heavens and it just struck me that the order and the beauty and the complexity and the harmony in the, in the universe and the stars and our galaxy and our, the planets that, that are a part of our galaxy, and the thought just entered my mind, maybe there is a God that, that, that made all this. And then 
when I was in the Caribbean, uh, we were there for five years, just serving in the Bible college there. And I, I would often have the opportunity to go out and get a little break and go snorkeling. Um, oftentimes I would be alone and just out there in the ocean looking at the incredible universe in the ocean, the different sizes, shapes, colors, and, and beauty of all of the sea life. And, and I would be there alone, nobody really to talk to, and I would just praise God for his incredible creativity. The majesty of God is, is beyond our comprehension. How does God do this? How does he control it all? How did he make it all work so beautifully? The plants, the birds. Sometimes when I'll be running, uh, and I, I know I don't look like a runner, but actually I do run, and I will go out in the, in the uh, fields outside of Moldova. We live pretty close to the edge, and I'll be out in the fields, and there will be birds, there will be flowers, and, and I'll have my phone with me, and I'll snap a picture and come home and show Joanne this beautiful thing I just saw, or in some nice neighborhood. Uh, God's creation is, is amazing. When you and I recognize that, and we, we sense that awesome uh, understanding of, of our God that's beyond our comprehension, the natural desire is that everybody would, would say the same thing. Everybody would say, what a great God we have. May the whole world be filled with his glory. We desire that when we recognize and contemplate his majesty. The second thing we need to do is contemplate the cross of Christ. What Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, actually did for us. We, we looked at his, his majesty, but now look at his sacrifice as the creator. So in your mind, just think about this. The Son of God comes down from heaven and becomes a man. And he did it to be the Lamb of God, and you and I know what that means. That means he was going to be a sacrifice, taking our place and, sac and, and sacrificing his life, paying our debt, that we might be saved by his blood. And so Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, does that. And then he says, Father, forgive them. Wow. We suffer some sort of injustice. Somebody cuts us off on Highway 101 and we're like, <clears throat> you know. I mean, they're killing him. And he's on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. And you contemplate what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Um, and it will lead us to once again raise in our hearts and our minds to worship him like we wish the whole world would. You and I have heard the saying many, many times, keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is that Jesus Christ be known in all the world. The main thing is that people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and have the opportunity to trust him as Lord and Savior that the whole earth would be filled with his glory. And, and by the way, death was not the end. When Christ died, that wasn't the end. He rose again. He spent 40 days with his disciples and then ascended into heaven. He's there right now making intercession for you and I, and he's there waiting for us for the moment that the Father has determined that we will be joining him in glory. So it's impossible to see the glorified Jesus Christ with the eye of faith without desiring that the whole world would love him, would trust him, would believe and follow him as disciples of Jesus Christ. You can't 
see what Christ did and not desire that for other people. And then we need to contemplate the lost condition of people. So many are lost. The overwhelming majority of the world's population is lost. They're not on their way to heaven. They do not know Jesus Christ. So every day there's pictures on the internet, on the news of tragedies all over the place. Recently, Uvalde, Texas, for example. But even since Uvalde, so much else has happened. We're constantly exposed to the brokenness of this world and the brokenness comes because of the sinfulness of man. Well, Isaiah, Isaiah tells us what the, what the, what the problem was and uh, maybe we could just look at it for a second. Isaiah chapter one. And um, let's just read what Isaiah says about us. Isaiah chapter one. In verse four. Ah, sinful nation a people laden with inequity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints even from the sole of the foot to the head. There is no soundness in it. That is the condition of every single person that was ever born in this world, with one exception, the, G the Lord Jesus Christ was sinless. That's our condition, and we have managed to produce a world that we have now. And I, I know I don't need to tell you what kind of world we have, because we're all living in it. We all have our eyes open, we can hear and see, we can think. We can see how broken our world is. And so there we are living in this world. So we've got the plagues. We've got homosexuality, pedophilia, uh, sex trafficking, illegal drugs. Just this week it seems like more and more stuff is on the news about uh, fentanyl and how many people are dying of that drug, op opioids and all of that. That's all going on, and it's because of what Isaiah is telling us right here in chapter 1. From the sole of our foot to the top of the head, we're, we're not in good shape. So we've got all that going on, but Isaiah has the solution. Look in verse 18. Verse 18, he says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. How does that happen? By being cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting him as our substitutionary sacrifice for the sins that we have. God is inviting us to trust him, trust his word. That changes everything. That cha you and I are unique in the world and we have a very unique opportunity. And our desire is, when a person believes the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's cleansed by his blood, he's filled with joy and purpose. I think that was my, my biggest real thing. In years I was 
searching for truth. What is my purpose? What are we doing here? Now I know and now you know. Our purpose is that the whole earth be filled with his glory, that the gospel of Jesus Christ be proclaimed around the world. So where do we start to have David's passion? Where do we start? And I would just simply say the first place to start is remove the sin that hinders the power of the Spirit of God in us. When we're harboring sin, practicing sin in our lives, we are not going to be able to be a part of this prayer, of this vision that David has. You can't say, may the whole world be filled with the glory of the Lord if you're swearing like a sailor. And I don't know about you, but I've been exposed to some so-called Christians who allow the F word to just come out of their mouth like it was normal conversation. I don't know how a person can talk and think and act like the world and at the same time may the whole earth be filled with his glory. That's not possible. That's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy doesn't get you to heaven. And um, if, the, if there's something in our life impeding, some obstacle that keeps us from being able to truly glorify the Lord and represent him as a great testimony for him, then there's something wrong with our character, uh, our conduct. And we need to ask ourselves, what, what kind of a life are we living for the Lord Jesus Christ? So people who make a profession of faith but live like the world uh, are, are not living up to the faith that they're proclaiming. They're manifesting uh, a character, a flaw in their character. The next thing we need to do is support the Great Commission. We need to get rid of the sin. We need to support the Great Commission. And, and there are some Christians that find it hard to give. Um, hard to give to the local church, hard to give to missions. It's, it's difficult for them. Um, Charles Spurgeon uh, knew some of those kind of people in his church uh, a long time ago. And he called these people, my friend, Mr. Saval. That's what Spurgeon called these people, Mr. Saval. What did he mean? He meant that they wanted to save all their resources for them. <laughs> they didn't want to give it away to anybody. And by the way, folks, you have to know this. You cannot outgive God. Just try it. Try to outgive God. <laughs> the more you give, the more he gives. It's just, it's just incredible what God does. And so we need to learn how to, to give to support the cause of of missions, it's, it's a, a person who doesn't have that attitude is like a person standing, looking at a house burning down and saying, put it out, put it out, put out the fire, and doing nothing about it. How can you say, may the whole world be filled with glory and not being a part of making it happen? So we need to be a part of it. We need to be actively involved in that. And of course, there are wonderful, wonderful Christians, and I believe that the majority of the folks right here at Edward Bassetti are this way. They're like the Corinthians or like the Macedonians that Paul said they gave of their ability and beyond their ability. And I really believe that's happened right here. Uh, and I praise God. I thank God for that. So the next thing we need to do is wait for the victory. And that's what we're all doing right now. Actually, we're waiting for the victory. We're praying. We're doing what God wants us to do. But we're waiting for the victory. So is it an impossible task? As I asked earlier this morning, is it impossible that the whole world, every single family, every single family member, every single person on the planet would worship the Lord? Is that impossible? 
Well, it's not impossible. We need to pray. Christ told us to pray, thy kingdom come. He didn't ask us to pray that because it was impossible or it would never happen. It will happen. One of these days, Christ is going to be here. We're going to be ruling and reigning with him, and the whole world will be filled with his glory. And so that is coming. We're just waiting for that. Finally, the last thing that we could do to have the passion of Christ, have the passion of David, is to enlist in his service. Back in the days of the Roman Empire, the Roman government would issue special rewards, special prizes for soldiers that would do extraordinary works. For example, in those days, cities would be surrounded by huge walls like Jericho. And the Roman soldiers would, the Roman army would come up against a city surrounded by a huge wall. And um, the first soldier that was able to climb the wall and go over the top and get into the city, he was given a very special reward because he did something extraordinary. And I just wonder this morning if there might be some truly committed young believers who would say with a sincere heart, I would be willing to answer God's call. I would love to do something extraordinary. Not very many of us are called and not very many of us respond to God's call on our life. Whether it be in, 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 in any sort of ministry, whether it be in ministry here in the United States or perhaps ministry in a foreign country, whatever it is that God wants, wherever he wants it, I believe God wants some of us to respond and just simply say, here am I, send me. I want to do something extraordinary, something wonderful for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would just share this with you. If, if one of you young people were to respond in that way, there's a whole body of believers right here who would stand behind you in every way possible, in prayer, financially, uh, emotionally, every way that we could possibly do that. People here would be envious that God may send you to do wonderful things for him in some place on this planet. Is there any young person here today that would be willing to say, here am I, send me. I'm willing to go if God should call me. That would be an amazing, an amazing thing. The Lord will accept you if you respond in that way. The church will back you. In fact, many churches will. I can testify to that. And so we want to close this morning with just this challenge. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Let's keep doing all we can to make that happen until Jesus Christ comes. Father, just want to thank you now. For